All right, and good morning, Ridgepoint Church. How's everybody doing this morning? Good, good. Did you enjoy eating a little bit of extra sleep this morning, not having to get here until 1045? Who enjoyed that extra 45 minutes? Now, who are the warriors and you're here serving in the 9 o'clock so you could be at 1045? You guys are awesome. Thank you for what you do. Uh, listen, we're going to get started this morning a little bit differently because uh, it seems like the last couple of weeks, every week there's a new calamity and devastation, and it was Harvey, and it was Irma, and it was earthquakes, and obviously now Maria. Uh, hit Puerto Rico really, really hard. We have a lot of people here at Ridgepoint Church that are connected to Puerto Rico, still trying to get a hold of family. Uh, there are some people in our church that are trying to organize some plans right now to help out there. Uh, they're actually meeting this afternoon, so we're going to find out more about that. We'll let you know on social media. Uh, probably even utilize that Facebook Live event tomorrow to share some information about that. But we want to begin this morning by kind of praying for Puerto Rico, so if you would, pray with me. Father, we know that Nothing happens beyond your purview. God, we know that you are entirely good, that you're entirely in control. And, and God, even when calamities happen as they've happened repeatedly over the last couple of months in, in our section of the world, God, we believe that you're still entirely in control and that you're still absolutely good. And so, God, we pray for all those that are still recovering from all these devastations, but especially right now, uh, those that are in Puerto Rico, they've lost 100% of their power uh, it's going to be months, if not years, till they're able to rebuild. And I know there are a lot of people that are here in our community that are still longing to contact family back home. Uh, God, I pray for a complete recovery. I pray for, uh, even right now, as, as medical personnel are arriving and as military personnel are arriving, God, I pray that you would provide for them in a very unique way. Uh, for those that are sitting back here in, in the States and are worried about their loved ones, God, I pray you give them a peace that passes every bit of understanding. And God, let us know as, as individual followers of Jesus what our next steps are to respond in a variety of different ways. God bless them in a mighty way. In Jesus' name, amen. Today we kick off a new series. And if you're familiar with Ridgepoint Church, if you've been here for the last couple of years, every fall we do something a little bit different where we do a study that's kind of a, a group study that we combine with what we talk about in church uh, this year, if you've been paying attention at all, you know it's a study put together by a couple of pastors up in the Chicago area who put together this book and this study called Finding Your Way Back to God. So when it comes to the group study, when it comes to uh, the stuff, some of the videos that we'll show and whatnot, it's put together as part of this, this study. People are doing this across the nation at different times. But a lot of what we talk about on Sunday morning is going to be unique, kind of our own unique take on what the study is about this week. And, and so we're going to kind of partner those two things together, launching today talking about this topic of, of how do we find our way back to God, or if we've never experienced God in our life before, how do we find our way to God in the first place? Uh, now, a lot of people, as we go into studies like this, ask the question, well, J.J., I really want to get behind this. I want, to, I want to get the most out of this because I think for most of us, if I were to ask us the question this morning in first and second service, uh, how many of you want to experience God? I would venture to guess that at least 90% of our congregation would respond and say, yeah, of course I'd want to experience God in a new and a fresh way. Uh, so the question isn't so much our intent, but our, our delivery. How do we make sure that, that we're doing our very best? And so there's four things that you can do as part of, of this series to say, if I want to find out what God is doing, what God's doing uniquely in my life, what are the four best steps I could take right now as part of the series? Number one, obviously be here weekly as we talk through the different topics. We're going to talk about five different spiritual awakenings. Uh, be here throughout this series as best you can. And our first challenge is this. 
invite some people to join us. Invite some people you know who they say, man, I would never go to church. If I walked in the doors of the church, the church would probably collapse. That's the type of person we want to see here. We'd love, now that we have two services, we have room to, to reach people. Man, I'd love for us over the next couple of weeks to see in this service us double our attendance, to see people reached uh, to the point where there's no room. And so do our best to be here and to invite others who need to experience God to join you to be part of this. Number two, what we've been talking about is, is joining groups for some time. Uh, the good thing is summer was supposed to end a couple of weeks ago and groups were supposed to hit. And then Hurricane Irma stepped in the way and changed our schedule up entirely. Uh, so we pushed everything back a little bit. Groups officially launch this afternoon. It's not too late to get involved in a group. It is the best way to learn and to grow. So join a group if you haven't already done so. The best way for us to learn. Along with that, Chris already mentioned this, but to do the, the workbook. One of, the, I think, the unique challenges that we face is that most of us, we desire to grow. We've, we've identified that. We say, yeah, I mean, I'd, I'd love to, and I come to church, and I get inspired, and I get really excited about, about the message, about the topic, about the scripture, and on Sunday morning, I am determined to do the very best that I could do, and then Sunday afternoon happens, and we have lunch, and there's life, and for some of us, it means now we got to get the kids ready for school because their little mini vacation after Irma's over, and, and, and life is starting to happen, and and so all of our intent in Sunday morning is lost, and then Monday we're at work, and it's dinner plans, and it's if we're doing group. We have all this other stuff that we're doing, and eventually we say, man, on Sunday morning I was really determined to grow in that area, and throughout the week I forgot about it. So the group study is a great way to keep that focus throughout the week to say, I want to keep in that and focus on it. So do the group study. Even if you're not in a group, do the group study. It's a great way to stay connected. The fourth and final thing, we put this out on social media this week, but on the YouVersion app, which is a Bible reading plan app thing, uh, there's actually a Bible reading plan that coincides with this study. Finding your way back to God, if you just kind of search for it in their search feature, it's just a five-day study where it goes through the different awakenings we're going to be talking about. Very simple thing. I got a chance to download it and do it this week. Uh, so kind of a fifth way to connect is through the YouVersion app. Download that Bible reading plan. Let's go ahead and get started with this thing. Listen, uh, when I was in, pro I think I was in, in my freshman year in high school, I wouldn't consider myself an avid reader. Now, I know in our group there are probably people who love reading, and there are people who hate reading. How many you would say, yes, I love reading? How many would be bold enough to say, I hate reading? It's the last thing I want to do. Now, I wasn't in either category growing up. I didn't love reading. I didn't hate reading. If I had to read, I would read. I'd much rather do something else. I'd rather be outside playing basketball or playing football or doing something else. But if I had to read, I was okay with it. I was kind of middle of the road. And we had to read a lot of books for school. And I don't remember a lot of those books. But for some reason, I think it was my freshman year of high school, we had to read a book because we're from the state of Florida. There's a book that was written based, upon our, based in our state called The Yearling by Marjorie Kenan Rawlings. Now, if you're old school, who remembers reading The Yearling? There were a few people in the first service as well. Like, it was required reading. I think it was my freshman year of high school. Required reading. And I don't know why. I don't remember a lot about that book. But there was one line that as I was starting to prepare for this, this line came back from 30 years ago almost, came back to my memory. And I said, I got to go back and research what was that line all about. But basically in the story, the main character has kind of left his family, and he's kind of out on his own. And for the first time, he's discovering uh, that, that being out on your own is not all that simple. And he starts to realize, man, I haven't had food in a couple of days, and I'm getting hungry. 
And he makes this statement. He said, I used to think I knew what hungry was. See, mom had always warned that we could be hungry. Now, mama said it with an O. Like, when I'm really hungry, I'm, I'm hungry. So mama said it with O. She said, I might get hungry at some point. And he said, I thought I was hungry before, but that was actually kind of this cute little delightful thing. What I experience now, this is hunger. That before was only an appetite. And I don't know why, but as a freshman in high school, in high school, I remember reading that line, and for some reason that resonated with me. Because I, like most guys, if I eat breakfast at 7.30 in the morning, by 11.30, I'm about to pass out. Like, man, I'm hungry. <laughs> I need some food. But the truth is, we're not hungry. We have, we have an appetite. And we try to fulfill that appetite, and we don't really go hungry. Most of us have never known what that experience is like. Some have. But most have never experienced what it means to really, really be hungry. Well, spiritually speaking in our life, I'm convinced that most of us have a deep hunger that's never been met. Now, we try to fill it with temporary pleasure type things. We try to fill it to meet the appetite, but we never get down to the core issue of, of, of what's, what's that hunger in my life look like? And we have a tendency to try to fill our permanent longings with temporary fixes. You and I have a tendency to fulfill these permanent longings with these temporary fixes. And what I mean by that is, is for every one of us, we wake up at some point in our life, we wake up with this awareness of saying, man, life has to be about something more than this. There has to be something more that I should be doing. There has to be something, I want to be plugged into something bigger than myself. And we know this deep down inside, we know it. But because we're trying to discover things about our life, we try to fulfill those, those big voids with temporary fixes. And when we're young, we think, if I could just get the right toy, if I just, if I pull up at McDonald's and, and they give me the right toy in my Happy Meal, like life is going to be set. And then I get older and I keep thinking, if I just get the right thing, if I just get the right house, if I just get the right car, a hunting season is around the corner, man, if this season, if I could just get the, the big buck, or if I go out fishing and get the, get the big fish, or if, ladies, if I go and get that right purse, or get, to get the shoes, or, or whatever it is that is this, this deep longing inside of us, we try to fill it with these temporary fixes, and we think, if I just get this, it's going to bring meaningful purpose to my life, but they're temporary fixes. We get them today, we get our gadget today, and tomorrow there's a new gadget. We get our vehicle today, and tomorrow there's a bigger vehicle. Tomorrow that house down the road that's a little bit bigger is selling for the same price our house is selling. We always are searching for that next thing, and we fill it with temporary fixes, and we think, if I don't get the right thing, I'm missing out in life. And it isn't just in old books that we read about this longing that people are trying to fill. Even in somewhat modern music, there's, there's these lines of these songs that people are saying, they're, they're identifying without even realizing it, saying, man, in, in these songs, people are longing for something else. In fact, we're going to do something a little bit different right now. We're going to play our own little version of RPC karaoke. Now, I'll say this, first service absolutely killed this, but we're going to pick out three different songs. And we're going to play just a short four or five second snippet of the song 
and then it's going to cut, and it's going to be up to you to fill the next couple of, of lines of that song, the next couple of words of that song. Real simple, I promise you can do this, but join in with us a little bit of RPC karaoke. Here's song number one. Man, that even sounded good. It was like a choir up in here. All right, let's do number two. Here it is. You can't get what you want. Good job. Good job. Number three. I was looking for love. <laughs> good job. You guys, give yourselves a hand. Great job this morning. But here's the thing in those songs. In each one of those songs, they identified that, man, there was something I was looking for that I couldn't get. There was a love I was looking for, but I was looking for it in the wrong places. And I still haven't found what I'm looking for. I still haven't found that deep thing that I'm longing for. And for every one of us, we understand what that void is like. Because for every one of us, at some point in our life, we experience that void. And the story that, that Becca read a little while ago, a story that most of us are familiar with, even people who didn't grow up necessarily going to church or know anything about the Bible, we know a lot about the story of the prodigal son. And that story kind of lays the basis for this whole study. In fact, we're going to use that story in some different creative ways throughout this series. But in the story that she read... The crazy thing is, the prodigal son comes, and he does one of the most disrespectful things that he could do to his father. You see, especially in Jewish culture, the relationship between the father and son was very, very close. They're almost viewed, the father is viewed as the elder, as, a, as one who is, who is the leader, supposed to be taken care of. But at some point, those two roles kind of intermingled. And it was expected out of the younger son that he would wait until his father passed to get his inheritance, but also that in his older age, the son would take care of the father. So the fact that the younger son comes and says, Dad, give me what is mine and give it to me now is one of the most disrespectful things he could have done in their culture. But I want us to look at one verse of that story over again. In Luke chapter 15, we read the story of the prodigal son. In verse 13, it says this about what the son does once he receives his inheritance. It says, not many days later. He didn't wait very long. See, he'd been planning this for some time. He's waiting for the dad to give him his property. He's waiting to get what is his. It says, not many days later, the younger son gathered all that he had, all that he had amassed because of his father, and he took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. We'll get to that part of it in a second. But here's what happens is the son kind of grew up in his home with things being done a certain way. And he said, man, I can't wait to find out what else is out there. In fact, I've seen everything here. I've seen everything in my hometown. And I can't wait to get out of here because what's out there must be better than what's in here. I grew up not far from here. I grew up in St. Pete, about an hour and a half from here. And I remember growing up, and, and I loved growing up in St. Pete. And yet I had a bunch of friends that didn't. And in high school, every one of my friends kept saying, man, I can't wait to graduate and move out of this place because this city is boring. 
I didn't think it was, but I remember all my friends, I'm looking around saying, man, there's a lot of stuff to do. But my friends just kept dreaming, saying, man, there must be something bigger. How many had friends just like that in high school? They couldn't wait to move away. How many of those friends just stayed right where they were? They never moved out of the area. You know, so many times I think we think out there there's something bigger. Out there there's something better. And so the prodigal son here looks and he says, I've not discovered what is that I'm looking for here. And in fact, what I see here doesn't really excite me. So the best must be out there. And so he gathers up all that is his, and it says he goes to a far country thinking, when I get there, things are just automatically going to be better. And for a season, it seems that way. They live it up, and they party, they do their thing, but eventually all that money squandered, it's lost. And he's back to that void being in his life. He tried to fill it up with temporary fixes, thinking all this stuff is going to bring satisfaction, it's going to bring permanency to my life, and none of it ever does. And the crazy part of the story is that when he finally comes to his senses, he realizes that the deepest longing I've had in my life is found in the very place that I ran from. And for some of us, when we start to become aware of the deep longing in our life, it does one of two things in our life. It either pushes us back to our loving father, who in the story of the prodigal son is a dad who sees his, fa- sees his son far way out. And he runs and embraces him and gives him everything that was still rightfully his. It either pushes us back towards the father or through resentment, it pushes us away from him. In the story of the prodigal son, the son matures and he says, I now know the deep longing that I was looking for can only be found in fixing this relationship with my father and going back to where I started. For a lot of us, life is difficult. Life is is complicated. And the more difficult and complicated life becomes, the more complex our relationship with God is. We've gone a long way from Jesus loves me, which was simple and I understood it, to many people today questioning God's existence. Or if he does exist, is he even a good God? But our longings either push us towards the one who loves us, or they push us away. So this study says if if we're going to get there, if we're going to find our way back to God, there's five awakenings in our life that we have to experience. And this is true of everybody this morning. If, if If you've never been to church before and this is your first experience with church, or if you've gone to church your whole life, every one of us needs to experience these awakenings over and over, finding our way back to God or finding our way back to God again. Five awakenings that we need to have in this journey. Number one is an awakening to longing. This is what we're talking about today. There's got to be more than what I'm currently doing. There's got to be more than what I'm currently experiencing. Number two is this, awakening next week, awakening to regret. I wish I could start over. I wish I could rewind and kind of re-choose some of the choices I've made in my life. Number three, awakening to help. I can't do this on my own. A lot of us don't like to ask for help. But awakening to help, you realize I can't do this on my own. I need help. Number four is this, awakening to love. God loves me deeply after all. And the fifth awakening is awakening to life with an exclamation mark at the end of this series called Now This Is Living. And it all begins with us with this awakening to longing, awakening to the idea that there must be something more out of life. There must be something more. And we said this at the outset, that if we're going to come to these awakenings, it all begins 
with a simple challenge. It all begins with actually with a simple prayer that they referenced earlier. And here's the challenge that I have for every one of us today. That we pray this prayer. I'm going to pray this prayer every morning for the next 30 days. And it, again, it doesn't matter if you have never been to church and you're surprised walking in here that the, door, that the walls didn't collapse. Or if you've been sitting in church for years. And maybe for years you've been here because you know it's my routine. I know it's the thing that I'm supposed to do. But it's been a long time. If ever. That I actually experienced God. It's been a long time. Like I've been in church. I've gone to church. I do the church routine. But it's been a long time since I experienced God fresh and anew in my life. Then we're going to take a simple prayer. And the simple prayer is this, God, if you are real, make yourself real to me. Now, that's kind of the main text of the prayer. Each week, we're going to add to it a little bit of a subtext to it. But God, if you are real, make yourself real to me. And if you want to go on this journey with me, we're going to wake up every morning. And every morning, we're going to begin with that prayer because I think, we're hitting on something when we realize the issue with most believers today is not that we don't have the intent to grow. Again, if I were to ask us how many today want to experience God in a fresh way in our life, I think that probably 90% of the people that are here between the two services would say, yes, my desire is to experience God. So then the question I must ask is, then why aren't we? Why is it not taking place? It's not in the intent, it's in the delivery. So we begin every day with this prayer. God, if you're real today, make yourself real to me. God, if you're real, make yourself real to me. And then throughout the day, as much as we can, we become aware of that prayer. God, in what I'm doing today, I want to see, see how you're acting. I want to see how you're working. God, if you're real, make yourself real to me. And I will promise you this. And there's not a lot of things that I come out and just kind of promise from the stage. But I promise you this. That if you pray that prayer, and if you seek after God for the next 30 days, he will change your life forever. You say, well, how can you say that with such boldness? How can you say that, not quantifying at all, how, how can you say that for sure? Well, Scripture is full of stories, just like prodigal son, where God is the father, is seeking out his children. And God's desire more than anything else is for his children to be aware of who he is. For his children to be aware of where he's working in their lives. God doesn't try to hide that from us. He's not playing a game where he's hiding the ball from us, but he's saying, I want you to be aware of what I'm doing. And there's story after story, and there's scripture after scripture, one of which I want to look at right now. In Jeremiah chapter 29, verses 12 through 14, it says this. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will hear you. Watch this in verse 13. You will seek me and find me, when you seek me with all your heart. This promise is there. You will seek me and you find me when you search me with all your heart. So if we wake up in the morning and say, God, here's the deal. Here's my prayer. God, if you're real, make yourself real to me. 
and we seek after him throughout the day. God, if you're real, make yourself real to me. And we do that day after day. The promise is there that you, if, if we seek with all of our heart, then we will seek and find him. That's God's promise to us. Verse 14, the very beginning of verse 14 says, I will be found by you, declares the Lord. He says, listen, I'm not trying to hide myself. I'm not playing a shell game with you. I'm not trying to not reveal myself to you. I want to be found. So we begin the prayer by saying, God, if you're real, make yourself real to me. Verse after verse, over in the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 4, it says this. But from there, you will seek the Lord your God. And you will find him if you search after him with all your heart, with all your soul. Again, the promise is there. Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 29. But from there you will seek the Lord your God. You will find him if you search after him with all your heart and with all your soul. So if we do this together, if we, if we say, God, if you're real, make yourself real to me. Probably about 15 years ago, I was a, a young youth pastor God was doing some really cool things, some, bringing some students who'd been far away from God into a relationship with him and reaching some, some students especially that were really far away from church and had never been involved in church. And, and we had a lot of students who kind of came through our doors and got a chance to meet, but there's one that will always stand out to me. There's a young girl, she was a, a ninth grader, she was 14 or 15 years old. And later on she told me the whole story of how God brought her to where she was. She grew up in, in, in a home where her, her, da, her dad loved her but her dad was a very prideful person, probably one of the most prideful people I've ever met. Now, that can be a good thing or a bad thing. And in his life, it was both. Very pr prideful man, had, had lived through a lot and had a lot of experiences. And there's a right way and wrong way of doing things. And just very proud of, of what he had accomplished and the things that happened in his life and in his culture and all that stuff. And, and, and so there were some strengths of that personality, but there are also some weaknesses. And part of it was that he didn't really know how to show affection. I think he loved his daughter. But didn't necessarily know how to show affection. And so she grew up her young years not having had that affection from her father. And so she started to, by the time she was 14 or 15, she had lived more of a life than most adults that I know. She would experienced more good and bad in her life than more adults that I knew. Later on, she said, J.J., by the time I was 14 or 15, I'd gone run the gamut because she didn't have that love and affection from her father uh, it started off with, with boys and eventually sleeping around with those boys and then, and then drugs and the drugs kept getting harder and harder. To the time that at 14 or 15, she was actually at the point of saying, I don't know if I can continue on. And one night, at, at just at, in the moment of, of not being, a, can I, can I, in, in the moment of not being able, able to be aware of, can I continue on, she cried out to God. Now, she grew up in a home that wasn't necessarily Christian, it was religious. But it wasn't necessarily Christian. She had some exposure to God in some different settings and, and, and kind of had gone on church a little bit, but not very much. So she had this, this the kind of this obscure view of God. But she cried out that night. It wasn't a theological prayer. It was just something similar to what we're praying here. Saying, God, I don't know if you're out there. But if you're out there, show me that you care about me. Show me that you know my situation. Well, she'd been suspended from school. The next day, she expected her dad to come in and to give her her punishment, whatever that was going to be. And she, her dad was also a disciplinarian, and she it was going to be really bad. And so she prayed, saying, God, if you're out there, let me know that you're aware of my situation. 
The next day, her dad, the strict disciplinarian, walked in. And totally unbeknownst to her, he began the conversation entirely different than she ever expected. And he said, Kat, obviously what we're doing isn't working. So we're going to send you to this Christian school down the road and let you try there. And then he left, and that was it. Having no idea that Kat had been praying, saying, God, if, if you're real, like, show me that you care about my situation. And even though her dad just thought it's not a big deal, we're going to try a different school, like it's going to be a little bit easier, to, you know, you're suspended, we have to figure that out anyway. But Kat's like, wait a minute. I prayed, and, and God in some way showed himself to me. And she started coming to the school where our church was, and eventually some, some loving teenagers in that group started to, to love on Kat and started to hear her story, how rough it was, and started inviting her to youth group. And eventually through that journey, she gave her life to Jesus in a profound way, started reaching some of her friends that were so far away from God, simply because she prayed a prayer saying, God, if you're real, make yourself real to me. And so we're going to pray that as the base of our prayer for the next 30 days, if you want to join us on this journey. But then each way to coincide with the topic, we're going to add a little bit to it. So this week's prayer is this, and we'll share this on social media so that you're aware of it. God, if you're real, make yourself real to me. Awaken in me the ability to see that you are what's missing in my life. Awaken in me the ability to see that you are what's missing from my life. So for the next six days, we're going to pray this prayer together. Come back next week, we're going to talk about the next awakening in our life. They say, God, I believe that there's a longing that every one of us experiences. And I'm never going to fulfill these, these permanent longings, these eternal longings with temporary fixes. Try as I might, those things are never going to work. And so God, awaken in me the ability to see that you are the only thing that I need. You're the thing that's missing from my life. Let's pray together. Father, first of all, I thank you for your love, your grace, your mercy. God, I thank you that in the midst of, of us running away from you, of us being the prodigal in the story, God, that you never once gave up on us. God, that you're sitting there, you're waiting in, in a loving way, awaiting our return. And God, when we chose to make that decision, when you prompted us towards that, God, you were there waiting with open arms to welcome us. You came running to greet us, and you showered us with grace, with mercy. God, I pray this morning. I believe in our crowd this morning. There are some that have been still running from you. God, they've heard message after message, story after story where your spirit is trying to prompt their heart to make some sort of decision to say it's time for the prodigal son or the prodigal, father, the prodigal daughter to return. It's time for our children to return. God, I believe you're prompting hearts this morning for that to be the case. God, whether it's a person who's never given their life to you, who needs to become aware of your grace and your mercy, or God, if it's the person who has been sitting in church and they've made those decisions in the past, but they've lost that acute awareness of what you're doing, God, awaken inside of us something that's real, something that's powerful. Because God, I believe that if you change even this crowd this morning, God, that if you awaken these things inside of us, God, that our community changes because of it. 
God, I believe that if you awaken us, our world changes because of us, because of it. God, because of that awakening that you bring to us, awaken in us the awareness of our need for you in a powerful and a real way. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.